Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. Hope you are. I am doing well. Well, you know, I think we both grew up watching uh, Star Trek, and uh, we all know Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk finally made it to space, even though we thought he was in space before. Now he really did it. You know, Ed, i got to confess, I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Star Trek. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I know Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock, but that's about the extent of it. Well, did you see the movies later that, that when they were older? I saw the first. I guess it was the first one. Was the first, first one Rathacon or was that the second one? I think that was the first, but I'm not sure. I saw that one, and I don't remember why, but somehow I got forced into going with some family members or somebody came to town uh, at Christmas time, and it was about a week before Christmas, and it was raining and not much was going on, and I got kind of shanghaied into going, and so I went and I watched it, and that's really all I remember. And I didn't yeah. like it. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't. I wasn't aware of this distinction, but I have heard that there is a difference, and there's almost a tension between Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans. So, are you a Star Wars fan? No. <laughs> no. Okay. I, I I saw the first one of those, eh, and I saw uh, the second one of those was not a fan, and then. Um, the, the one with Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, that was kind of a low point. I, I took a child to see that, and I don't even remember which one. I just remember we were late, and we ended up having to sit on the front row and look up at the screen, and it was a terrible movie, and that's my Star Wars experience. Okay. All right. Well, this segment's been great. <laughs> um, what can I say? But but the story is that, that William Shatner, who's 90 years young, uh, blasted off in Jeff Bezos's um, rocket. Private entities launching people into space. It basically went up, came right back down. I guess they had a few seconds of weightlessness, maybe more than a few seconds, but not much more. Yeah, the whole thing was right like eleven down. minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a long. But that's pretty cool. I'm not sure I'd be brave enough to 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 take a space flight, even if it was only for eleven minutes. I saw where Mr. Shatner said it was a profound experience. I thought that was an interesting comment. I was quite emotional. Yeah, apparently he enjoyed it, found it uh, exhilarating, as I'm sure anyone would. Um, And, uh, I mean, I applaud him. He's now the oldest person to go into space. I think the previous record holder was John Glenn when he was a U.S. senator. You know, more power to him. Do you think he had to pay to do this, or was it a publicity thing? It's my understanding that there were four people on the capsule. Right. He was one. He right. was free. One of them worked for Bezos's organization, Blue okay. Origin, I think it's called. That was a freebie. And then there were two paying passengers. And I don't know how much they had to pay, but apparently pretty good chunk of change. That's interesting. I don't know that I'd pay to go to space. Would you? You know, if I had that much extra money sitting around, I might give it a thought. But, uh, you know, it's pretty pretty significant amount of money yeah i mean we're talking six figures i'm sure oh yeah yeah seven you think could be wow i could think of a lot of things i'd rather do with that money but you know to each his own it's a free country and and i do think it's you know 90 years old and going to space yeah and one of the paid passengers was an australian citizen oh okay apparently the first 
I guess someone from Australia or who had joint Australian citizenship had flown in space before. He was the first one who was, you know, purely an Australian national to go. Oh, wow. The, the person who flew before, was that on the uh, space shuttle? Or was that a U.S. flight or was it a Russian flight? Or I don't have that information. Okay. That was, that was a big story today. Um, you know, one other story that's been going on is this continued issue between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and, you know, the evidence that keeps coming out of corruption. Do you want to talk about that? Tell us where we are with that. Yeah, um, I'll try. Um, the New York Post ran a story either yesterday or, or this morning. I'm not sure which uh, which uh, edition of the of the Post it was, but it came out that um, the information in the Hunter Biden laptop scandal is kind of trickling out now in the mainstream media, and they're saying it's true. And today's episode, or scoop, if you will, is that there is some chance that the president could become the subject of the ongoing investigation into Hunter Biden for income tax evasion and money laundering as a result of his sharing bank account or bank accounts, I'm not sure which, with Hunter Biden. And them, and I say them, I mean Hunter and the president, uh, uh, paying each other's bills. And part of the New York Post story today has to do with Joe Biden's accountant. And I, I assume he either worked for Hunter or shared or, or, or performed services for Hunter, but he cashed, deposited, I should say, and an income tax return check made payable to the president um, and, and put it in a uh, one of the president's personal accounts, and then I guess he had signature authority. So he then wrote a check for that same amount and and sent it to Hunter to repay him for some some bill that Hunter had paid on behalf of his father. I'm not sure exactly why that uh, particular paycheck was the subject of the story, other than the accountant was signing the president's name to the check and en- endorsed it and had not run that by the president, according to the email that the post referenced. And maybe um, it is because there's certain emails that have come out, which are now <clears throat> kind of validated as, as Hunter Biden's emails. Yes. And um, Jonathan Turley was on Fox News bright and early this morning, and he was wondering why there had not been uh, a special prosecutor appointed, given the direction in which this uh, investigation, which has been acknowledged by Hunter Biden, that that he's being investigated for potential criminal acts related to income tax returns and money laundering. But given the direction that it seems to be going with respect to the president and his accounts, um, why there had not been a a special prosecutor appointed by now, and why there was not a call for a special prosecutor to be appointed from mainstream media. Well, that other individual is identified in the Daily Mail story as Eric Schwerin, and he was identified as, as Hunter's business partner with some consulting firm that they had. And uh, apparently he was working on Joe Biden's taxes during this period of time, as, as he mentioned in one of the uh, emails. Um, and like you say, Hunter Biden has come out. He came out last December, said he's under federal investigation for uh, tax fraud or some type of tax misconduct. I don't know that he knows the exact scope of it. And now this information that he's sharing accounts with the president of the United States and that his business partner is filing taxes for the president of the United States. Of course, it's before the election, but 
But still, there's the, you know broad implications here of, of corruption and just a lot of strange shenanigans going on. And influence peddling. I mean, ultimately, that seems to be perhaps lurking in the background. And, and you know, there's some smoke uh, with regard to that. And, and the question is, is there any fire associated with that smoke? Because for a lot of the time that this was going on, uh, Joe Biden was the vice president of the United States. And, and of course, he has uh, denied having any knowledge whatsoever of Hunter's business dealings. It seems that that's just simply not true. But then you add in the fact that other stories have come out about Hunter Biden flying on Air Force Two to China, that he had this lucrative deal with a Ukrainian oil and gas company. Uh, and then, of course, it's still going on now. Apparently, he's still involved in investments in the Chinese uh, with the Chinese government. He hasn't divested himself of those. Now he started this new art career and he just sold several hundred thousand dollars worth of his amateur artwork. And they were just prints and he was selling them for 75 grand a pop. Right. Prints, which is what you and I would call a poster. That's that's what it is. You can print a million of them. Yeah. And it's not the canvas. It's, it's not any kind of um, proof or, 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 or anything like that. It is a poster. And of course, you know, a lot of people say that that's, that's simply money laundering. That's a way to get the money to, to, to Joe uh, without, paying Joe. Um, but, you know, when he took that, that trip to uh, China on Air Force Two with his father, he struck a deal during that trip for over a billion dollars with a Chinese entity that is involved, if not totally owned by the Chinese government. And nobody bats an eye. Because at that time, he was going to be a hedge fund manager. That's right. In addition to all of his skills running uh, natural gas companies and everything else. Well, you know, you got to admit, Joe Biden said Hunter Biden's the smartest person he's ever met. So That's he right. could do all this. Yeah, sure. Uh, in his spare time uh, and, and and doing drugs and uh, running around with prostitutes and any number of things. And, and since you mentioned, you know, the artwork and potential money laundering, that's not unique to Hunter Biden, that the art world and, you know, totally um, inflated prices for Artwork has been investigated in the past as, as a prime area for people trying to launder money. Uh, in this case, you add in the other aspect of it, which is influence peddling. And, and now we, we hear that at least at one point, the President of the United States had a joint bank account with this guy who's receiving money from unknown individuals for his posters. Yeah. Well, two points uh, with respect to that. I mean, first, you know, uh, former Speaker of the House Jim Wright lost his position in Congress. Um, ultimately resigned because he wrote a book that nobody cared to read. Basically, the only sales were were to lobbyists who were trying to ingratiate themselves with him to get his vote on matters important to them, and it was essentially a money laundering operation, and it cost him his job. This seems even more blatant to me because he has no no training in art, no no history, no no track record. If his last name wasn't Biden, it, it would be laughable. And did you see the story that came out last week where the uh, gallery that is exhibiting his, his paintings has two employees and got a PPP loan during the time of the pandemic last fall, whenever those 
came about, and I think it basically was, COVID relief funds right, from the federal government, about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And then after Joe Biden became president of the United States, and he struck this deal with Hunter Biden, uh, the the gallery owner did to to market his and sell his his paintings, the PPP loan was increased three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Uh, for two people, so that's five hundred grand for two people, three hundred and fifty of which came after Joe Biden was president, and after he struck his deal with Hunter. So, I mean, to me, that that seems almost prima facie case of of uh, money laundering. Well, that's right. I mean, you can question why the federal government is giving large amounts or small amounts of money to you know art galleries to stay open during the pandemic, but there are jobs there, so perhaps there's some argument for that. But this is a substantial amount of money. And let's remember that while a lot of those were styled as loans, there were also ways in which businesses could basically find exceptions to having to pay it back. That's right. If they met certain conditions, the the main one being that they didn't fire or let anybody go. They didn't downsize. I mean, I guess you could terminate. Well, I know you could terminate someone for cause during that period of time. But anyone on your payroll at the time you got the loan, you had to keep on the payroll unless um, – you know, that there was some reason to fire them. You couldn't, you couldn't downsize or lay them off. That was the main uh, uh, condition for the, the loan becoming forgivable. The gallery got a substantial amount of money, and then they collect some portion. I've heard up to 50% of each one of these prints that Hunter sells to some unknown person. At $75,000 a throw. Something just doesn't smell right on this no. deal. There's, there's something rotten in Denmark. There definitely is. Yeah, so maybe the mainstream media will start to pay a little bit of attention because they sure ignored these stories before the election. It was more than just an omission. I mean, they they deplatformed folks on social media who were trying to get the story out there to include the president of the United States. And, and so they took active steps to keep uh, the voting public from learning of this, ex- excuse me, explosive revelation or revelations um, in October of 2020 during the peak of the campaign, journalist Molly Hemingway has written a book, came out today, it's called Rigged, where she investigated and has written about the big tech social media collusion, if you will, to, to rig the election, not necessarily you know, put your finger on the scale, so to speak, or manufacture votes, but to control information and to control the governmental boards of elections in in local areas um, with private money from Mark Zuckerberg, where he would give a little bit of money to a Republican county and then give lots and lots of money to a Democrat county to bring in activists to be employees of that Board of Elections during the 2020 election season as a means to help get the vote out. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, I downloaded it today. I'll be listening to that book on tape this weekend probably. But, you know, it's not uh, when you look at strange things that happened in the 2020 election, it's not necessarily physically stuffing a ballot box as much as controlling the flow of information to individuals. And and when you talk about what social media did, you also have to throw in there the New York Post story, which was breaking a lot of these allegations, had a copy apparently of the laptop hard drive, uh, one of the oldest newspapers in the country. 
Started by and, Alexander Hamilton. That's correct. Uh, which and they were, their story was not allowed to be circulated on social media. So uh, those are the things that happened. Um, now you know it's interesting since you, you mentioned the election. Uh, I saw, saw that uh, California just, uh, or the governor of California just signed new legislation out there in California, became the eighth state to have universal mail-in balloting, so that every person's on the voting rolls will be mailed a ballot. Uh, they can go to vote in person, but they get mailed a ballot, and then they get seven days after the election for that thing to be returned to the Board of Elections and counted. Uh, I don't think there's any question, but there's an opportunity for fraud on a massive scale in California. Every every country that looked at this issue, Western Europe, Democrat Socialist countries there, uh, Scandinavian countries has said, Mail-in balloting is a prescription for fraud. Well, not only that, but we had a situation in North Carolina a couple of election cycles ago in which an election was essentially thrown out. Now, it wasn't with universal mail-in balloting, but it was with someone, and this was on the Republican side, an activist who was going out there and soliciting ballots, collecting them all up, and then, I don't know if he was sending them all in or only the ones that helped his candidate. As a congressional race east of Charlotte, uh, he's gone to jail or prison, I believe, and and they had to do a redo in the election. That was in a congressional race, as you said. It was ballot harvesting. The the man who was doing it is in prison, as I understand it. He had historically been a Democrat. This was the first Republican he had ever worked for. And during the 2016 election, he worked for— the current governor of North Carolina, and there were shenanigans in that same locale, which is sort of south-central North Carolina, in the governor's race. And that was a very close race that really wasn't decided until the next or the vote wasn't, wasn't called until at least the next morning, as I remember it. And even then, there were rumblings about irregularities and so forth. And the interesting thing was that during the 20... Uh, 18 election cycle, which is, I think, when the one you're speaking of, our governor was very, very quiet. He was the one Democrat who didn't have a lot to say about about what went on in that in that race. And uh, there was some speculation by by various people that uh, perhaps he was quiet because he had his own issues with that individual from his from his race. Things like that happen. That's why people should all go to vote on the same day or pretty much the same day with the same information and select their candidates. And votes ought to be counted that day and anything after that day ought not be counted. Maybe California doesn't matter because they're probably always going to go Democrat on everything, but it might matter. And certainly they're trying to push it through on other states. And they have two other imbecilic laws that they passed in the last week. Did you see that? One, you mean the one about the gender-neutral toy owl? Yes, and then they have, as of 2024, they have outlawed small gasoline engines. Like a leaf blower or a lawnmower. Lawnmower, that kind of thing. Um, I, I mean, it is it's just it's hard to fathom what California has become. And Gavin Newsom is doubling down. He survived his recall election, and he is doubling down. And the people of California are getting what they voted for. Yeah, good and hard. So that's the, that's some of the news. Um, 
Have you been able to listen to any of the oral arguments from the Supreme Court this week? I have not. I had court. Um, I have court today, tomorrow, and Friday, so I've been uh, either preparing for that or in the courtroom. I, I did see that there was uh, sort of um, some f- fireworks, I'll call it, between Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Kagan today during the Sarnayev, uh oral argument, the Boston Marathon murder case um and then there was but that's that's really all i know i haven't been able to listen to any of any of them either yesterday or today well what's interesting is that two weeks ago we did our supreme court preview show and if listeners haven't heard that go back and listen uh but we we had four cases and we didn't choose them because they were about to happen and it's just worked out that three of the four cases we previewed have had oral arguments this week and last week uh, this week, there were two. There was that Cameron case out of Kentucky about the uh, attorney general wanting to appear on behalf of the state. And then today was the Zarnev case, the Boston bomber case, where uh, the Circuit Court of Appeals had thrown out the death penalty on the case. I, I thought the interesting thing about that was that Justice, um, Justice Barrett asked a question, well, what's the end game here for the government? Because uh, Merritt Garland has imposed a moratorium on the federal death penalty. And yet they're still fighting to get the death penalty reinstated. They didn't give a really good answer for that, except that, well, we want to get it instated and then we'll consider later what we're going to do with it. <laughs> Essentially what they came came down to. So Merrick Garland's Justice Department is arguing the case for the governor, I mean for the government, and they're seeking a reinstatement of the death penalty when he has imposed a moratorium on the death penalty in federal cases. That's right. Does that make your head hurt? Well, you know, we talked last week about it. It's, it's interesting that they're even actually taking the same position as the Trump administration. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I, th- I think, though, that they really can't take any other position um, because there's absolutely no good argument that they would not at least make some effort to reimpose the death penalty on a terrorist act that occurred here in the United States. So I, I think they're they're stuck with that. Yeah, I think politically they they would. The, the people of Massachusetts are still, and, and they should be, still upset uh, over over that act. And I, I think they would be uh, incensed were the United States government to f- sort of forfeit, so to speak, the death penalty. So I got the clear impression, though, at least on the Zarnev case, that there was a split among the conservatives and liberal justices that, you know, there were conservatives who really felt the death penalty ought to be back in the case, I guess they would remand for a new sentencing hearing, though, and anything could happen at that point. Well, Lee, what's on your radar for the next week? You mean aside from the Red Sox in the American League Championship Series? They are in the American League Championship Series. Uh, with a resounding 3-1 victory over the uh, heavily favored Tampa Bay Rays. They seem to hit a stride recently. I mean, they, they beat the Yankees in that one-game wildcard series. And then lost a game to the Rays, but then after that, just just turned it up. Dominated almost uh, in some respects. Um, And then one uh, had two walk-offs in a row. Um, The last team to do that was the 2004 Red Sox. Uh, The last last team to have two walk-offs in a row in the postseason. I think beyond that, um, I think clearly the immigration issue continues to, to deserve and warrant attention. Um, I think, uh, as we said, the Hunter Biden situation is kind of percolating and, 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 and really maybe starting to heat up. 
I'm interested to see if there was any reason for Mitch McConnell to back down uh, with regard to raising the debt ceiling. I, I don't see why he did that after for for months saying no, 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 no. I have a thought about that. Okay, tell me what it is. And, and I, I've heard some other people say, you know, things like this, but you know, the thought is that he heard from Cinema and Mansion that they were getting so much pressure, and that if something wasn't done to alleviate the issue with the debt ceiling, they would not be able to stand up to that much pressure from their party. So by agreeing to this short-term extension, he gave them that ability to continue to oppose this, you know, multi-trillion-dollar bill that's being pushed. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. You might very well be right. And that would make sense. Uh, it would also make sense as to why he could not say, here's why I did what I did when I was s- s- so uh, steadfast or seemed to be so steadfast for, for, for low these many months with regard to opposing that. I, I think it's also interesting to note why Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, who have the votes from the Democrats to do it, why they have continued to require bipartisan support to raise the debt limit. I mean, I know it's because they don't want to hear about it in in the midterms in 2022, but that's over a year away. And, you know, I'm not sure that the debt, raising the debt limit in and of itself is a hot button issue with the voters. It it seems a little esoteric. I mean, I think you can argue economy, you can argue uh, you know, the, 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 what apparently is going to be a Christmas crunch w- with regard to retail goods and so forth. But I, I'm just not sure that the well, debt limit. A, there's a practical reason also, which is that there is a limit to how many times they can use the reconciliation process. And so if they were to blow one of those times just to raise the debt ceiling, get that through the Senate, it would impact their ability to move other priorities that they are trying to put into other bills through the reconciliation process. Interesting. Okay. And is that by statute? That is by by rule. There's this budgetary statute that deals with the reconciliation process, and I believe it's it's by statute. So each Congress, and by that I mean each two-year term, is, is that there's a cap on the number of times that can be used, or is it by session of the Congress? In other words, each year. I believe it's each Congress, but okay. I couldn't say that for sure. We'll find out. I would expect that to be the, the case. That's interesting. I didn't know that either. I learned some. I learned a couple of things tonight. All right. I got a couple of things here that okay. I just want to throw out. Uh, one that's kind of on my radar, and then two other kind of kind of shout outs because it was announced this week or last week. That the after the end of the the war in Afghanistan, and we've talked about that a lot, but one of the things that was was pointed out is that it's the first war in American history in which there were no MIAs after the end of the war. No oh. soldiers, no, no service members who were still missing in action when hostilities concluded. And I think that's a pretty remarkable. Thing. That is. The other thing that's kind of on my radar. Uh, is this issue that's going on in Northern Virginia with the school board. And there's a great article at dailywire.com, which kind of broke this story a couple of days ago in the Loudoun County School Board. And I saw on the news they had another meeting last night, and there was a tremendous parent 
opposition to the board and calls for the superintendent to resign. Uh, and so I ur- I'll put the I'll put the link to that article in the show notes. I urge people to go read that. It's interesting, and it's also going to be interesting to see what happens over the coming weeks in Loudoun County and other counties who are dealing with this issue. Interesting, very interesting situation in Loudoun County. Sad all around. The last thing is I came across something today. It's a website called the goodnewsnetwork.org. And, you know, if you get down from politics and then when baseball season ends and you just need some type of pick-me-up, goodnewsnetwork.org. It's got some just good stories about things out there that will put a smile on your face. There's a story on there about a Minnesota teenager. I think he was 16-year-old. And he builds custom wheelchairs for disabled dogs and cats. Wow. Some great pictures and video on there. So, An entrepreneur? Well, he's doing it just out of the goodness of his heart to help oh. disabled dogs. Wow. Interesting. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review. Check us out on Twitter. 